15. Uh, we're gonna be in verses 25 through 32. So we've been covering all the parables, you know what I'm saying? So uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus uh, telling this story about a shepherd that had 100 sheep and one goes missing. And we talked about how a sheep doesn't go missing on purpose. We talked about, have you ever been in a situation where you looked up and went, I don't know how I got here, but all of a sudden there's this distance between me and God. We talked about how God not only sees that distance, but that he covers the gap, that he finds you, that he brings you back, and that all of heaven celebrates. The week after, we talked about the 10 coins, and when one coin goes missing, a coin doesn't walk off or wander off. A coin is dropped. It's mishandled. We talked about how some of us have been wounded, like we've just been hurt. Someone dropped us along the way. Someone mistreated us. Something happened. We didn't go hunting for it, but it hurt us. And how God not only sees you, but he loves you. He picks you up and he celebrates your healing. Like he heals you and all of heaven celebrates. And then last week, we divided this parable in half and we covered the first half. This prodigal son that I had always said, like, oh man, he just like loved money and women. That's what happened. But really, there's something deeper happening. He was looking for fulfillment. And no culture knows the desire for more like ours. We want more. What does more mean? We don't know, but we want it. Where do we get it? We talked about how the son, the thing he wanted, he left the father's property to go find, but the thing he always wanted was always in the father's house. Talked about that. And then this week, we're covering this guy, the other brother, and he doesn't get a lot of love. Like, he doesn't get a lot of love. He's not really the main character. And when you do think about him, you kind of throw shade because he's a little salty that his little brother's having the fattened calf killed for him in a party thrown, you know what I mean? So I want to start out with a story that I think, like, connects me with this older brother, all right? I was, like, five years old. And it was Christmas time, all right? So me and my family were sitting on a tree. It's me, my sister, my parents, and my mom's parents, grandma, grandpa, all right? We're all very tight, and Christmas was always nice, all right? We had a good Christmas. So I was excited. You know, I'm five or six years old. I've had a good year. I've worked hard. Like, I know I've earned my keep here. You know what I'm saying? Like, clean your room, all this stuff, naughty nice list. I'm all caps, number one, nice list. I'm ready to go. Like, this is about to be a good Christmas, you know what I'm saying? And uh, my family, they gave good Christmases. I told you last week about my affinity for Hot Wheels. I'm just waiting. I'm just, I cannot wait to see how many like little tracks and cars I'm about to get. And my parents tell me that I get to open the first gift. I get to open the first one. So like Christmas is here and I'm five. So I'm like, yo, this is already just insane. And I get to go first. I get to set the precedent for Christmas in the Soloway household. I'm pretty pumped. And I open the first, I get my first gift and it's from my grandma. And my grandma was like known for like good gifts. Like she's good, what she does, right? So I was like, all right, let's, ooh, this is about to be good, whatever. And I open it, and I kid you not, it's gonna be hard to believe. This was amazing. I open it, and no kidding, lo and behold, it is a toothbrush. <laughs> What's going on? Did I not have a good year? What did I do? I'm like picturing Hot Wheels, the next big thing, maybe a Nintendo, I don't know, at that point, 95, 90s, I think, I don't think PlayStation was happening yet, so maybe like a Game Boy or something. I like, I'm like ready for this epic thing, and I open it, and I find a toothbrush, and I swear to you, in that moment, all the love and the nurturing of my life was forgotten about. All the fun trips me and my family had taken, like three of them because I was only five, but you know, like all the sweet memories, like the shelter, the food on the table, none of it mattered. I could not figure out for the life of me what I did to deserve something as stupid as a toothbrush on Christmas, and I said a lot of it out loud. And my parents were so disappointed. They were like, Joshua, go upstairs. Joshua 
So I spent the first 20 minutes setting the precedent in my room by myself in timeout. Like really, you know, like what little kids do when they're by themselves in the room, just like. I can't wait to get back down there. You know, I'm so frustrated. But, you know, in that moment, I was just like, I didn't think about the fact that there was like other gifts, right? I didn't see all the other gifts that clearly I was gonna get. That wasn't my only gift. It's cool that I'm even getting those anyway. I didn't think about the fact that like my family was together and it was a sweet situation. I didn't think about the fact that I think it was a soccer toothbrush. It was actually kind of cool. I came around, I did. I came around, it was a cool toothbrush. But in that moment, I just went, this is not fair. Like, what did I do to deserve this? I, can, I should have gotten better. And we're gonna cover a story. It's gonna go a little deeper than a toothbrush for a five-year-old on Christmas, uh, admittedly. But we're covering a story where this brother is gonna have a moment like that. He's gonna be able, he's gonna like reveal like some of the darkness of his heart where he's gonna be like, this should not be my situation. Like, this should not be how this thing went. My brother goes on a little adventure, blows all his money on like women and clubbing, and he comes back to a, no, 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 no. No, 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 I've done more. I deserve more than this. And he deserves worse than this. And all the finger pointing is gonna happen. And I think it's, uh, I think it's gonna speak to us. I think it's really, really good. So let's read Luke 15, 25 through 32. Um, I'm reading the ESV. If you're using one of our blue Bibles, that's on page 510. If you do not have a Bible, take that home with you. All right, Luke 15, verse 25, second half of the parable. Here we go. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Um, Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for parables and how um, they just bring out a thousand different things. You read the same parable 10 times and get 10 different things out of it. And God, I pray that this morning, would you help us just to glean wisdom? And uh, yeah, would you help us just to hear your words? Speak to us, God. Yeah, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Yeah, hey, this morning, I have a lot on my heart, and I hope I can say it all, but I would just encourage you as you're listening to just take on a posture, if you can, of leaning in, like lean into the teaching, like search for where God's speaking to you. Um, If we're left to our own devices and you're just hoping I say something that like just hits the, it may not come. I'm just, I don't know if I got it in me, you know? but I think God will speak through his word, whatever the broken vessel it is. And so um, I'm the broken vessel. The word is perfect. Um, but uh, yeah, just as I'm speaking, just lean in, like listen this morning. I think God's gonna really speak to us. Um, I'm gonna do my best to walk slowly and look at my notes because I have a lot of things I wanna say. I don't wanna forget anything. Um, but let's talk about this, this brother, this big brother. Um, we're gonna break it up into, uh, there's three phrases that he says that if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, all right? So he says, I have... 
I never and you never, all right? We're gonna kind of sit in the, those, three, those three things. I have, I never, and you never, all right? So let's look. He says, this many years, I have served you, all right? So, you know, he, he hears music, he hears a party, and I don't know why, I didn't look into this too far, I don't know why he doesn't go in and see what's going on, but instead he gets a servant to be like, what's going on in there? <laughs> then the servant comes back and goes, this is what's happening. I don't know why you didn't just walk in and see for yourself, but here's what's going on. And his first response to hearing, think about this, that his long lost brother, after years, has come back, okay? Pretty insane situation already. His first response is anger. Very interesting. Really, want, let's, just like, let's just imagine this, consider like, what has to be going on in the heart for your long lost sibling to come back and for the first thing you feel is anger, all right? It starts out with, I have, I have served you all this time. I thought this was really interesting, especially the juxtaposition of last week's conversation, right? You had a prodigal who goes, there's no way I'm worthy to be called your son, so just take me back as a servant. And now we go to the older brother who goes, I've served you this whole time, and I don't feel like a son. Like, I feel totally overlooked. And he's going, I have served you, which is also interesting language. Not, I love you, and I don't feel loved. Like, man, I, I've enjoyed, I, got, we, I felt like we've been close. No, he goes, I have served you, right? Like, I've earned this. Does anyone resonate with that mentality? Like, what I, the, the things that I have put in, the work that I have put forth should not equal this, right? Like, I put in way too much work here. Like, where is my acknowledgement? Like, where is my recognition? I have earned this. And I think this fits in culturally so well, right? Because the other week I was watching the Grammys. That's the one with the music. The Oscars is happening later. Is it, the Oscars? when's the Oscars? Tonight, the Grammys. I was watching the one where, you know, we got all these musicians. Everyone's making good art, but we live in a culture that goes, no, it's not enough that everyone's pouring out their guts all their time, all their energy, trying to make really good art. We got a name who deserves an award for it, right? Like, who did the best though? Like, somehow we gotta make it to where everyone else kind of feels like they fell short a little bit. Like, you know, like, this person, everyone's trying, but this person did the best, right? The Oscars, like, hey, you acted your heart out, you actressed your heart out, but like, this person, they did the best, right? We live in a culture that goes, we want to acknowledge when you've earned it. We want to name when you've been good enough. And this son is in the same mind state. He's like, I have been good enough. Like, I have earned my keep. Does anyone resonate with that? We're in a relationship, maybe at work, maybe in a friendship. You go like, I have earned your recognition. I have earned your, like, your love and affection. Like, I have done enough. And you felt frustrated when you didn't feel like you were getting your return, your return on investment. That's where he is. He's going, man, dad, I have done this for you. I have served you. But then he transitions to a, I have never. And this one, I think, this, this gripped my heart the most this week. He says, I never disobeyed you. One, classic hyperbolic child. I've never, ever, like I just almost wish his father would have been like, hold on, I, I know where your heart is. Ever? Let's just walk this out, you know what I mean? Like, come on. I've never disobeyed you, but this is really interesting. The son's gonna pivot. He's not gonna talk about just what he's done. 
he's gonna start really honing in on what he's never done. I think this is important. So I think we're all gonna resonate here. And it's really appropriate for the fasting season because if you've ever fasted before, you know this. If you only fast from something, fasting, not that great. Like if your whole goal is just to not do something, you finish and you're like, well, I didn't do it. That kind of stunk a little bit. It wasn't that much fun. Like I was just hungry and I didn't eat. So, and, and you kind of go like, what's the point? But as you try to fast, and that's a good step. If you made that step, good, that's good. Cause it's gonna get better, I promise. But you learn in fasting that as you fast from something and as you, as you feel the rumbling in your stomach, rather than just feeling the how much food you're not eating, you choose to let that rumbling be like a Holy Spirit reminder to like lean into prayer. That's when you start seeing it. That's when it starts making sense. Like, oh, I think actually there's something special about saying no to something so that I can say yes to something, right? But he's not there. And and maybe you've experienced that in fasting. When you haven't leaned into something, you've only leaned away from something. He goes, I've never disobeyed you. Look at all the things I've never done. In comparison, by the way, to the guy in there partying. Again, how is he coming home to a party? All he's been doing is partying. And I've never done this. Does anyone relate to that mindset? I feel like more than anything in, in, the, in the, just the butt, belt buckle, I almost said butt, that's not what I'm saying, the belt buckle of the Bible belt, like in Nashville, Tennessee, the mindset of I've never done is so applicable to Christians. So easily we reduce ourselves to what we're resisting. Like, I'm just not doing. Does anyone relate? Does anyone identify with going? It feels like the Christian life is just what I'm not allowed to do. And all of my focus, where I'm from, it's like, okay, I'm a Christian. What's that mean? All right, I, I, tip, I do not drink. Not only do I not get drunk, I don't touch alcohol. Uh, I really work hard not to have sex before marriage. I definitely do not cuss. That's a little easier one, right? The flesh isn't as strong there. So like, I definitely don't curse. I don't do that. Um, and then I don't listen to, you've heard it, secular music, right? Anyone in secular music? No, okay, just me. I, yeah, I don't do any of those things, right? Again, there's something, I was talking to a friend just the other day who was uh, talking about that they come from this really religious background. There's just a lot of restrictions on what you cannot do. And it, it, <laughs> this person told me about whenever they'd go to like youth camp and, and, and everyone would go to bed, these teenagers would sneak out, you know, go to the baseball field where no one could see them. And then they would, you know, let their youthful passions take over for one another, right? And they'd kind of break some rules. Do you guys know what I'm saying right now? Like, if you've never been there, like, yeah, they kind of go for it with one another. And does anyone know? This is, why is it so awkwardly quiet right now? So, <laughs> golly. So they get frisky, all right? And, and they were talking about how, like, these teenagers, they were, like, so forced to, like, wear certain things, talk certain ways. Don't do this. Don't, don't look at them like that. Don't think that. Watch the heart. Watch the mind. Watch the outfit. Watch the eyes. Like, watch, watch, watch. And it just created these, like, caged animals that were like, Freedom! The counselors went to sleep, let's go. Like, you know what I mean? It's like they, they were living in this mindset of like the Christian life is just trying to always resist the passions of the flesh. And let me tell you something, when the Christian life is about what you can't do, the Christian life is not that great. I promise you, it is not that fun. There is such a big difference from running from something and running to something. When you run from something, you can hit anything. When you run to something, you manage to just hit the thing, right? So let's give an example. Very practically, you probably already get the concept. Here we go. So if I run at the speaker, odds are I hit the speaker, right? 
But if I run from the speaker, it's pretty unpredictable. You don't know. You may think you know. I'll just run there. That's the least, that's the path of least resistance. You don't know me. I might hurdle a chair. Like, I might go to the banner, go to that banner. I might go outside and go to the park. It's a beautiful day, first in like seven months, right? Like, you don't know. Because when you're running from something, your options are endless. But when you're running to something, it gives you focus, it gives you a target, right? There's some saying about if you don't know what you're aiming for, you know the saying, so I don't have to finish it. We all know it. So I'm not gonna say it, you're not gonna say it. We're just gonna say it in our minds because we all know it, all right? But, uh, but you know, that's the idea is that, man, when you live a life of what you can't do, you don't understand the privilege of being a child of the Father. Like, and that's where this guy's at. He's like, I have never, I've never, I've never, I've never, and this is what, this is what I get? And then inevitably, the I have and I've never always ends up here. When this is your mindset, it goes to you've never. This accusatory language. When we get lulled into this, like I've earned and I've never, it's gonna be God's fault. God's fault is coming soon. Like it's about to get blamed on him, okay? So he looks at his father. He says, you never gave me a young goat. Imagine that conversation today. (laughs) Dad, what in the world? I just want a young goat for once, you know? So that may not be you. If it is, shout out. We can talk later, get context. But he says, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And I thought this this part of the conversation is so interesting because he talks to his father the way he wishes his father would have talked to the other brother. He wishes the father would have met his brother and said, all that I've done for you, everything I did, and you go and just splurge it on women and clubbing, that's that's what you're gonna do? No, 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 this is not how this works. You don't get anything out of this, right? He wanted his father to say that so bad. All those times in the field where he was being obedient, he wasn't leaving the property, he couldn't wait for his brother to get back. God, go, go get him, Dad. Let him know. Man, how, we've, just, we've been here the whole time, haven't we? We've been working the whole time. Like, you just let him know. Let, and then the father doesn't say it. So since his father doesn't say it, he decides to say it. Father, do you not know? I have been doing this all for you. Everything I've done, and you've never, you've never done anything for me. Have you ever felt that with God? Have you ever looked up and went like, God, I have done everything, like, I've, I've, I've resisted, I've resisted, I've resisted. And every now and then I've actually done stuff. Like I've, my Sundays, my, my Wednesdays, sometimes a Saturday, it's been crazy at times. Like I've never done and I've always done it. Where are you? This is what I get. Imagine all those times the son was in the field. And he was just picturing like, man, if I was my brother, I'd probably be doing a little, he even entertained his flesh a little bit. I'd be a man. Maybe it would be nice to go out and get, you know, like get it going with, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's do all that stuff, you know? Have you ever been there where you're like, is it really worth it? to stay here and keep saying no to stuff that everyone else seems to be loving in their life and keep saying yes to stuff that honestly, I look around, it's kind of boring. And then this is my lot, Father? Like you gave him a party and he got the best of both worlds and I'm I'm just here working. Like that's where I'm at. And maybe you've been there where you sat down with God and been like, I cannot believe this is what I get. I cannot believe this is the Christian life. Like what am I doing? Why? Why Christian? Why walk with God? Like, what, what is this all pointing to? And he's having this moment where he's like, what does it mean to be your son? And I also wondered if it ever, like, ate him up that he never knew how to be bold to his father. Like, his brother got bold twice and seemingly got rewarded twice. His brother is the one that says, give me my inheritance. Gets it. 
Goes and messes it all up. Then Boldly comes back and says, can I come back and get some bread? He's like, no, you're a son. We're throwing, you're getting like filet tonight. It's going down. Did he ever eat his brother up? Like he gets to be bold and reckless and he never thought to actually ask his father for something. You've never, you've never done this for me, but I wanna pay attention to the father's response. The father says, let me find it, and I'm gonna tell you exactly what he said. Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always. So for the father's response, three things. You always, you have, and I always. You always, you have, and I always. To son, you are always, always with me. He starts out with this term of compassion. When he says, son, that's so on purpose in this moment, because all he's hearing is a servant talking to him. His son's like, I've earned it. I have like lived up to the job description, to the T. The things I'm supposed to do, I've done them. What I'm not supposed to do, I have not done them. And he just hears all the servant language happening, and he goes, son, did you hear what I just called you? My child, <laughs> like, immediately I'm made aware. Like Ephesians 2.8, if only the apostle Paul could have lived just before this parable was told. Like, by grace, grace, you've been saved. Not of your works. So you can't boast. You can't earn it with all your obedience, and your brother can't unearn it with all his debauchery. Like, neither of you can earn or unearn what you are to me. You are a son. In this moment, he speaks identity over his kid. He's like, wait, hold on, what is this? What is this language you got going on? What's this thing where you, you think you earned what? You were born. That's all you did. And you had all of my love. Like, that's, that's it. Like, I don't care what you do. Like, I, you're my kid. Because you have always been my son. You have always been with me. And this whole time, like, his greatest fear was being overlooked, like, not being seen. The father's like, the opposite. You haven't been seeing me. You haven't been paying attention. Like, you're my son. You always, and then you have. It says, and all that is mine is yours. Man, this whole thing, it's yours. Everything I got. What do you mean? I never got a goat. What are you talking about? This whole thing, you haven't asked. What do you mean? Like, it's all yours. Like, your brother, when he was out and about doing his thing, he had a moment where he felt the lack of what I had to offer. He had to feel, you never felt that. It's always been yours and it's abundant. I'm not like splurging on him and leaving you empty handed, like everything I have, it's yours. And then I always, at the beginning of this, it says uh, in verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. That word entreat means to plead to beg. So just imagine the father, he's at the party. His son has come home. Man, the like, the euphoric, it's like the emotion, everything's going crazy, party time, dancing. I'm guessing there's like tambourines and stuff, you know, like, I don't know, trumpets or something. Like it's loud, it's chaotic, everyone's dancing. And the father, in the midst of the chaos, his son has come back home. He looks around and he goes, where is he? Where's my son? Is that way your son just came home? No, 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 my son, like my son. And he goes out. And he entreats him, he begs him to come inside, be a part of this. 
And the whole time the son felt like he was overlooked, like he wasn't seen. And the father notices, but the son's so full of his rage, he's got some stuff he needs to flesh out that he can't even notice his father noticing him. And his father says, man, I see you, but you gotta come in, man. There's a difference between proximity and intimacy. There's a difference between being in my house and enjoying the relationship that you and I have. And the whole time this guy lived on the property, but he never thought to enjoy being a son. And I wonder how many of us, we sit here, and if we're really looking at our heart of hearts, we go, why? 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 Sundays, it's fine. House church, it's fine. House church is fine. I read when I can. I pray when I can. Why? Why? And I wonder how many of us go, we identify as children of God, but we have yet to even taste the abundance that God wants to give us. There is more, and this is the part that I, I could not get words to. Maybe you can help me. But I feel like the, the biggest, hold on, I, I didn't get words, I was being serious. Um, the, uh, the thing that followers of God, that I feel in my own heart, and it breaks my heart for me, but in this room, I just guarantee you, so many of you, you're followers of God, and you have yet to taste the abundant life. You have yet to taste the fruit and the sweetness and the joy and the abundance of a life of just all out pursuit of your Father, of being in relationship with Him, of actually loving prayer, cheesy, corny, refrigerator magnet, just praying like, you know, the the cheesy refrigerator match, the Bible verses, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so corny. Like, that kind of good love. Like, man, I just love God. I just love being with him. Man, there's people out there, and they don't know him, and like, my greatest joy is to help them know the real God that really loves them. We just haven't scratched the surface. We're too busy. We're in broken paradigms. We live in a culture that measures broken things. These things make you you. This makes you successful. This makes you acceptable. This makes you happy. This is a good personality. This is what looks good. You don't look good. That was last year. This makes you look good. And we're just getting all messed up. And when we do that, we just, we suffer. We go, God, where are you? Where are you? I've always been here. And I just wonder for us this morning, what does it look like for you, child of God, to start taking advantage of being a child of the King, of knowing God, and I can't put words on it because I think it's so different for everyone. But I just sensed that for this brother, I just felt so bad for him. Like you were there the whole time. You were there, it was all yours. You just didn't take advantage. Like at least your brother was bold. I mean, he was misguided, but he was bold. And I wonder how many of us, it's like we haven't prayed boldly. We haven't asked God for anything. We haven't said like, God, what are you asking me to dream about? What have you made my heart to come alive? And I know what culture, I know what everything's telling me. I see the trajectory of success. Like I know, I know dating and marriage and the job and all this. I know all of it, the, the music career. I know all of it. But God, what are you, what have you created in me? Where have you made my heart come to life? I, do you know that God has given you a dream? He, ha, he has put a dream in your heart. He has life for you. I, I promise you, there is life and life abundant in you. But at some point, you gotta take advantage of being a child of God. You gotta go toward him. You gotta go in the house. You gotta celebrate. I think as I was reading this story, I also recognized that, man, Jesus is the big brother we all want. 
In this story, the big brother kind of stays out, complains, gripes, whatever. But Jesus is the big brother that looks at the father and goes, my siblings are missing. I'm out, and I'm not coming back alone. I'm bringing people with me. Jesus is the one that has clear eyes for the adventure, for what it really means to be in the family of God. And he comes here, and he puts himself on a cross, and he resurrects from the dead so that we might know him. And I wonder how many of us the adventure we wish could exist in God is just waiting on our hearts to break for those that don't know him yet. Like the life we wish we felt in God, it's not gonna come alive until you invest in seeing death resurrect. Until your heart breaks for the lost. Until you just see people who didn't know God. If you wanna cure Christian boredom, watch someone who didn't know God come to know God. Will blow your mind. Find a Ronnie for yourself. Like, you see that happen, things change. We get so, like, apathetic and bored, and, like, all we can think to do is sit in a circle and have some cute conversation. I'm not demonizing it. If I'm not careful, it sounds like I am. I'm not. It's good. It's helpful. But until we start living, going, God, what are you dreaming for me? And I'm going to step into it. I'm going to go to the calendar. I'm going to make the adjustments. I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to invest in what I feel like you're calling me into. I don't know that we'll ever get out of this apathy, and we won't ever stop this. What have you done? It's your fault. I've done enough. Where are you at? I don't have a cute, good way to wrap up this conversation, but I sense that if we as people of God, if you're here and you go, I, I follow Jesus, or I wanna know God, I, I'm at least interested. If we'll just stop for a second and go, God, what have you put on my heart? What are you calling me into? Maybe ask the question of how can I take advantage of being a child of God? Have you ever realized that? You have a God of infinite resources and you can take advantage of it. You have not been relegated to a code of conducts. You are not what you do and what you don't do. You're a child, I believe God wants you to flourish. So as we go to communion, I'm gonna invite us to circle up our chairs, groups of three to five. Don't get bigger than that, it's obnoxious because you can't share, you know what I'm saying? So keep the group small if you can. And just ask the question, how is God inviting me to take advantage of being his child? Just ask yourself that. Talk to each other. Share some ideas. This morning, we did it. It was amazing. I sat with a few people, and it was really cool. Like, they were, like, sensing, like, I, I think God's given me a heart for this. Just ask, God, how are you inviting me? You might go, I think I just need to pray. That's what I feel like is in my life right now. God is like, you love prayer. You have forgotten how much you love prayer to where you don't like prayer anymore. Come back. Like, take advantage. And some might go, man, you love your neighbors. It's time to go. It's time to go get in the field and enjoy it and go on this adventure. So I'm gonna pray before I externally process for another two hours and uh, we'll go to communion and then we'll circle up, all right? Um, God, thank you for today. Holy Spirit, will you lead us? Um, thank you for this beautiful day. In Jesus' name, uh, amen.